It was January 1st that we got the word flourish. And as we looked at Psalm 92, one of the things that we saw, let me just read that. Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. There's reminders all over Florida. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Not everyone flourishes, church. I wish I could say that. I wish everyone, I wish that was true for everybody. The reality is not everyone does. Not everyone flourishes, but only those who desire to, those who are submitted to what? His word, his word. Those who obey his word. You know, I was telling somebody the other day that when Jesus came to the earth, prior to that, nobody, there was not much activity. In fact, 400 years of silence for the most part. God was there. God was still saving people. But there wasn't the activity quite like when Jesus came to earth. And if you've ever been into a field in the summertime in Texas or Florida or anywhere in the south like that, you just run through it and there's all of a sudden it looks quiet and calm until you run through it. And you know, when you run through it, there's grasshoppers, there's flies all over the place, running wild. That's what it was like during the time of Jesus because God showed up. And when he shows up, everything changes. And as I was kind of thinking and reflecting on the beginning portion of this year, we just said we need more of the word. And it felt like for the most part, going through the pandemic, going through these last, I don't know what, 11 months almost now, it just seems like a, we just, we're a bunch of kids running through the fields in the summertime. It just seems like the word of God started to work in people. Some flourished and some did not. And I, what I'm believing for now more than any, any time before that I just, I just, I believe we've got to hold on to this, that God has promised there will be people that flourish. There will be people that bear fruit in all seasons. As it says in Psalm one, but know that it's not a guarantee. There is a place in our heart that we must submit to the word of God. We must submit to him and his purposes not only just submit to it and believe it, but obey it in all seasons. And then I, I have, and then we'll, I'll pray and we'll get into the message this morning. But in, in Daniel, in Daniel 4, uh, months and months prior to 2020, I don't remember, sometime in 2019, I think it was, I would go into the, St. Luke's has a little cemetery next door. And I would go in there and I'd just pray for hours. And, uh, and invite others into it. It's a little time. It was the original church in Oviedo, actually. It's a really cool place. And very quiet. Uh, in fact, Solomon said that it's better to go to funerals than it is to go to parties because it's sober. But I hung out in a cemetery. I know that's kind of weird in a way. Uh, and there's a little little box that, uh, that a, I don't know, body or like the ashes went into. And it just said 
John C., which is a reminder of <laughs> that one day I'll be there as well. But, and whose hope am I putting? Where's my hope? Where's my faith? It's in him. One day he'll resurrect the body. But what I was praying for in there, I, I'd go in and there would be a Bible open and whatever the Bible is open to do, I'd just read it and then I'd just pray a few things. But for the longest time, and including a baseball card, which got my attention, on top of the Bible, and it was Daniel 4. And I, I didn't like reading. Every time I go in there, I'm like, oh, Daniel 4. Is anybody reading this? Anybody reading anything else but Daniel 4 and this thing? And, uh, and so I would, I went back in and uh, I was, again, I was like, God, okay, maybe you're trying to tell me something through this, but the passage just doesn't seem relevant for the time. And Daniel 4 speaks about Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what he says in verse 28. It says, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came in heaven King Nebuchadnezzar, this is, it is you that declared this. Sovereignty has been now removed from you. And then, of course, you know, he became like an animal. In fact, he had long fingernails, feathers like eagles, crawled around like an animal for a number of years until he came to his senses. And then he says, reason returned to me. Some time had passed, but the same passage and then he began to declare who God was. And he says in verse 37, Now I now, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. And if that is not a picture of our country today, I'm not sure what is. That God is humbling us so we can know who the rightful king is. And his, the king is Jesus. That's who we worship. That's who we're voting for, by the way, this year. I know we're voting for an earthly king, which does not last. As you notice here in Nebuchadnezzar, all the kings of the earth have perished. But only one remains, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus. And as I was reading this, you know, back then I didn't understand it until now. I realize now that this is, this is a picture of what God does to the proud, to those who maybe even in this church, maybe for all of us, it was a humble moment even for all of us that is God that builds this church. He's the one that has. Even eight years ago, I mean, perhaps, yes, Nicole and I were the quote unquote church planners, but ultimately it was God. God builds this church. And he's always able to humble the proud and, ex and he is able to hum uh, exalt the humble. And so today, and I'm going to pray as we get in, but today I want to talk about the government. That ultimately says in Isaiah that the government met, rests on his shoulders, on Jesus' shoulders. There's a, one of my mentors always calls and reminds me of the same thing over and over again. I'll just call randomly, just so you know, hey, again, government rests on his shoulders. Just a good reminder that even the church government rests on his shoulders, but ultimately the whole earth rests on his shoulders. And that is the encouragement this morning 
that I want all of us to know that in Romans 13, as we read Romans 13, 1 through 7, what I believe that God is speaking to us this morning is that we have citizenship in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And why is that important? Although we live on the earth, our citizenship is ultimate. We are aliens of this world, as we'll see in the scriptures. But also Romans 13, what it does is it shows us the biblical role of government. And it also then shows us our responsibility to the earthly government as it relates to God. And I believe this morning will be very clear uh, where we stand. It won't tell you how to, who to vote for. In fact, that's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is to show us how to relate to all governments for the next so many years until Jesus comes back, that he ultimately has rule and reign over our hearts as believers. And that is a wonderful, wonderful, amazing thing once we get that fully. So Father, we pray that you'd open up our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you give us your wisdom through the scriptures, that you would give us your peace, even in the midst of a crazy season. You spoke to us months. In fact, back in January, beware the political spirit, beware the religious spirit. You spoke that. What a wonderful thing. We're thankful that you are giving us wisdom in these, in these days. And your word is true. Sanctify us in the truth as Jesus prayed in John 17. Sanctify us, meaning set us apart in the truth, not the world's truth, but your truth. The only truth. As we said earlier, every man a liar, but God is true. Though we can't rely on anybody else, but his word in your word alone, which says it will not, not even a, not even a dot, not even a, a, a period or a comma or any stroke of the pen in your word will perish. It will endure forever. Even though the grass will wither, even though the governments will wither, your word will remain true. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to be a little long, which is probably not all that unusual. Uh, so I want you guys to get this message. This is the message of messages on the government. If you want, if there, this is probably the most clear and specific passages on the government that there is in the New Testament. So if you want to know anything about the government and how we relate as believers... It is found in Romans 13, 1 through 7. I won't be able to talk about taxes, the last two chapters, our last two verses. We'll get that around uh, April 15th. <laughs> that joyful day, right? But we'll, uh, we're going to go through at least the first five verses. And of course, in the normal fashion of just going through the scriptures and the parallel scriptures, and uh, it's going to be good this morning. You guys ready? It's going to be good. So take notes. It'll feel more like a teaching than preaching, uh, even though we are calling you to a decision this morning. Like always, preaching always calls us to a decision. That decision this morning is we want to be biblical and how we relate to the civil authorities of the earth. So many Christians think that the American Revolution was justified. <laughs> a little history lesson this morning. 
biblically and politically justified, but in reality, how many know the American Revolution was a rebellion, American rebellion, right? We rebelled against the government, but the reason why we're blessed is not because we rebelled against England, but because of God's grace. It's because of God's grace. And when we look at the American flag, although we could be patriotic, there's nothing wrong with that per se. As long as we understand that our citizenship is in heaven. As long as we understand that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's nothing wrong with loving our country. In fact, we need to be thankful for it. But understand that every time we look at that flag, it is a symbol of God's grace. It is not something that we should expect or that uh, is, uh, you know, something that, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, presumed. I mean, we shouldn't, we shouldn't presume upon God that we should always have a, a rights, our rights, our rights, our rights, as often has been said. But it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. That everything that we have here that is good and that is pleasurable, and that is right, is because of God's grace. Because if we're not careful, we can assume, we can, uh, we can begin to think that it's ours by right. And that is a dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. Let me start off with a quote. Believing that the end sometimes justifies the means, many evangelicals contend that nonviolent civil disobedience is justified when a cause such as of opposition to abortion is clearly biblical. Some evangelicals even refuse to pay taxes because part of the money will be used for causes and activities that are unjust and immoral. Many evangelicals believe that Christians should become active in political causes relying on social action and pressure tactics to change laws and government policies and practices that are plainly evil and to protect cherished religious rights that are being encroached upon. In the name of such concepts as co-belligerency, some evangelicals are joining forces with individuals and organizations that are unchristian, heretical, and even cultic. The reasoning is that sometimes permissible to join forces with, with one evil in order to combat what is considered to be the greater evil. This zeal, does that sound familiar, by the way? This is written uh, probably about 20 years ago. This zeal for preservation of the Christian faith, both culturally and individually, often gets blended in with strong views about economics, taxation, social issues, partisanship, so that the Bible gets wrapped in a flag. Wow. So good. Let me read on. We are to be this conscience of the nation through faithful preaching and godly living, confronting it not, confronting it not with political pressure or man's wisdom, including our own, but with spiritual power of God's word, using legislation, education, and intimidation and to achieve a superficial, temporal Christian morality is not our calling and has no eternal value. I hope by the time you leave, you realize that what we're after here is things of eternal value, things that will last. In fact, uh, as I'll read later, really doesn't make any difference if we make someone go from pro-choice to pro-life if they end up rejecting Jesus and perishing in hell. It doesn't matter if we try to, you know, coerce people to go with our political views if they perish without Jesus. 
that is a dangerous thing, right? So many evangelicals are being swept away by the political spirit, which was warned many months before. In fact, transformation happens through the preaching of the gospel. It happens one by one by one by one. If you want to know how to change the world, just reach your workplace. We reach the people in your neighborhood, have conversations about God. It happens, transformation happens slow. In fact, it says that, it says that kingdom of God is like, what? It's like a seed, a little mustard seed that grows, tiniest of seeds that grows into a big tree where the nests, the birds nest and find their home. Also, it says that it's like leaven. It mixes with the bread and begins little by little to grow on the earth. In other words, it doesn't happen by a political party. It doesn't happen quick. In fact, in, during Jesus' time, they were trying to make him king. So many of us, in fact, my kids used to even, I, I think I was with Ella reading her Bible, and she said, why did Jesus tell people not to tell, them about, tell people about this amazing miracle? It's a great question, by the way. Dads, you better be prepared. That's all I have to say. <laughs> It's a good question. The reason is, is because Jesus didn't come. Listen now. He didn't come to bring temporary, temporary ease to our lives. He came to seek and save the lost. Now, of course, I said it in a different way to my little nine-year-old daughter, but I helped her understand that Jesus did amazing things. Amazing miracles. And they were trying to, he understood, they were trying to make him king for one purpose, to overthrow the Roman government. And he wouldn't allow it. In fact, his disciples didn't even understand that, even up until the fact of his ascension. And it's now we have that knowledge today. And it is important for us to, again, look at the scriptures to understand why Jesus came. Many people believe that the church needs to partner with the government. False. Our job is not to partner with the government, by the way. It has nothing to do with that. Our job is not to blend the flag in the Bible, but rather to seek and save the lost. It's a spiritual kingdom that God is doing now, and there will be a visible, real kingdom in the millennial kingdom coming, where he will literally rule with an iron scepter. He will have his enemies underneath his feet. But that is not what theologians call the already but not yet. The kingdom of God is here. So it's, I mean, John the Baptist said the same. Jesus said the same. We looked at it last week that Jesus came with the kingdom saying that today I can rule and reign over your heart. And so our desire is that Jesus would rule and reign over the people in our workplace. Jesus would rule and reign over our campus individually, not politically. When they take pictures of you because they don't, you're not wearing the mask, just do it. The, do it. Why not? Because our king is different. Our king is one of freedom. And we cannot, we cannot be bullies in God's kingdom. 
We cannot return the same kind of control that the government may have. We can't, re- we can't return evil with evil. But the Bible says what? Return evil with what? With good. With graciousness, with love. Some of what I'm going to say today is not going to be easy, but that'll just, you got to take that up with Paul in heaven, by the way. But here, I want to just say, because I know everyone has a lot of questions about government, but I want to just say, first off, that Christians can be involved in civil government. I'm going to give you some examples, okay? So Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon. Jesus then healed a centurion servant. He didn't advise him to leave his army, did he? Jesus understood that. In fact, Zacchaeus, remember little wee, little Zacchaeus, the little wee little man who climbed up the sycamore tree, right? Can you finish the song? What is it? What is the rest of it? You know what Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus didn't drop his profession, but he became an honest tax collector. In fact, then Cornelius, the Roman centurion, Acts 10, or Acts 13, I'm sorry, I know Acts 10, was saved and then began to continue to serve the army. There's nothing wrong with being in the army. Nothing wrong with being in civil government. But always, what I see here in scriptures is it's always second in command. It's never primary for some reason. Isn't it interesting? As you look back at history, there's... All, there, are, there are people that are very influential in government. And some of us might be called to that in this room, which would be wonderful. Just be honest and understand who your real king is. Because otherwise, if you lose that perspective, you get so into the political spirit and control that you'll begin to compromise and use lies to get your way. And then you'll just be like the rest and you'll lose your saltiness And when you lose your saltiness, it was meant to be a preservation in our society. It was meant to preserve the meat, preserve food for long journeys. Because they didn't have refrigerators back then. But if they took that salt and it lost its saltiness, that salt would be no good for anything other than to keep the weeds away from the path. They would throw it. That's why it says that all it's good for is you'll just trample you'll trample the, the, the salt because it's no good anymore. You don't want to be no good to society. And you don't have to necessarily be in government or be an influencer. You can influence the, just the people in your sphere. What a wonderful thing. There's something for everybody in the kingdom, which is awesome, by the way. All right, let's see. There's, there's a few more, but we'll, for time's sake, we'll move on. We're to be kingdom of priests, not kingdom social activists. Isn't that good? The reality is in Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. We have a dual citizenship. We have a dual citizenship. We have to understand that just like those who are dual citizens, I think Alex, where's Alex in the room? Somewhere. She is a citizen of the United States and citizen of the United Kingdom. She, she likes us more, she told me. <laughs> it's not true not true. I don't know where she's at right now. It's like, no. <laughs> but she's citizen of both. But for us and our sake, those two, for her sake, those two countries won't be existing, existing by the time Jesus comes back to rule and reign. 
for us, we might, you might have three or four citizenships. I don't know. But the reality is we have two. The, one, the place we live in today, right now, the United States, for most of us. And we also carry a passport that says your name saved by the blood of Jesus. And we get a free ticket directly to heaven when we die. And it's not by your works. It's certainly not by visiting the embassy to get your passport. But it's by visiting your sins and realizing that you are estranged from him. You are separated from him by birth. It says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that there's only one gift, one gift, and that's by Jesus Christ. And while we are still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, he died for us. Once we placed our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins, we became children of God and citizens of heaven. What a wonderful thing that we could put our faith in him. First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that amazing? You have a different identity. Yes, you might be American, but you're first a Christian. Unfortunately, that name has gotten trampled over the years. In fact, years ago, they came up with a new name. Now it doesn't really mean anything anymore, but born again Christian. They were called Christ ones for the first time in the book of Acts, which we'll get to in Acts 13. And then we had to come up with a different term. It was around the time of Billy Graham, born again, because so many Christians just live like the world, they had to come up with another term. And now we're saying, oh, but we're the ones that really, really, really live it out. And someone along comes up, we're really, really, we're like the real Christians. It becomes so confusing. The reality is we're Christian. We bear the name Christ one, we're, we look like him. Acts 4, 13 was very obvious when they looked at the disciples like, you don't have to even label yourself. I know you've been with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to boast. You don't have to go around. You don't have to, for your senses, just, you guys got to fill out your senses, Christian. What a wonderful thing. But that doesn't mean anything anymore in our country, considering about 80-some percent say they believe in God. Even the demons do. And they tremble. It says here in the Roman government, during Jesus' time, listen to this. You think our, our time was bad. Watch this. Jesus was born in political corruption at the, at the merciless tyrants and murderous dictators. Matthew 2.16, they killed babies. Do you remember that? Can you imagine if any president just said, all right, I'm fearful of this man who might become the president someday and rule and reign or whatever. Just kill everybody under two. Can you imagine the outrage? It's crazy. There are three slaves to every free person in the Roman Empire. The tax burden was so exorbitant that the tax collectors overcharged and kept some for themselves. And for, of course, you know that with Zacchaeus and even Matthew. In John 8, 31 and 32, the religious leaders <laughs> jokingly, I don't know, jokingly, but I think it's funny. They said they were never in bondage. And then Jesus didn't remind them uh, of all the places, but he says, what are you talking about? Your people, you, you guys were enslaved for years to the Greeks, to the Medo-Persians, to the Babylonians, to the Assyrians, and now to Rome, the Egyptians. For the last 50 years, they were enslaved to Rome. 
Talk about control. But the Romans did give them religious freedom. They didn't have to actually worship Caesar because there was a deal between them and the Jews. They could worship God freely as long as they paid taxes. Romans were like, hey, look, pay taxes, we're good. Other than that, you guys can be free to practice the Sabbath, the dietary laws, the, all the other things. They experienced a, a level of freedom like we do today. But at the same time, when during the time of Acts, as we'll see as we get further into the New Testament, you'll see things began to change. And then, of course, into the first or the second century, there was major persecutions that were beginning to happen because they realize, wait, Christians aren't the same as Jews. Judaism and Christianity, once Judaism died, basically, as we know it, in AD 70 at the destruction of Jerusalem, the civil war between Rome and Israel, that this was a different religion, and it actually became a threat to the Roman Empire. But it was a hard time. In fact, it says in Matthew twenty two twenty one, 21, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and God the things that are God's. That was hard to hear. In fact, do you remember the time when, uh, when Peter and Jesus were walking and people came up to them and said, hey, uh, aren't you supposed to pay the, the temple tax? And Jesus said, yes, we are. We, we agree. We want to be uh, submitting under authority uh, on the religious side and the poll tax side, on the, on the Rome side, on the, on the political side. And they paid. In fact, Jesus... Who would mind just hanging out with Jesus on uh, April 15th? Just go in, the, go in the Oviedo Lake over here and just go find two coins to pay your taxes. That would be amazing. But Jesus, he obeyed civil authority even in the midst of corruption. In fact, he said, in fact, he said something very interesting. He said, are the sons exempt? Do you remember that passage? Are the sons exempt? The reality is what he was actually saying there was that God being the father, God being the creator, the king of the universe, kings never charge their kids taxes. So technically, I mean, God's the creator of the universe. Jesus was never created. He was God and man. He was the king. He was exempt. And those who are of him are exempt too. So Peter was exempt. They're all exempt. They technically didn't have to pay. But what did it say? So that we don't offend them, we'll pay. That is the attitude towards the civil government. That is the attitude towards, uh, we, we don't have time to get into all the taxes. Uh, that's a whole nother sermon in and of itself. If you guys want to stay for the next hour, we can go through it if you'd like. Um, Breno's like, yes, let's do it. He wants to pay us. He can't wait. Or maybe find a loophole. <laughs> no. Um, but here, here's, our, here's our responsibility. If you're taking notes, here's our responsibility. Number one, just know that we are aliens and strangers of this world, 1 Peter 2, 11. And we are, we, although we live here, we are not of the world. And so that we don't offend, we, number one, we pay taxes. And number two, we are subject or we obey the government. Now, there is one loophole. Not to taxes. There's no loopholes for taxes. I'm so sorry. No loopholes. Absolutely not one of them. Um, but we, there, are, there are one, and I'll go through them in a, in a little bit here. But when do we disobey civil authority? 
there's a couple of ways that uh, the Lord gives us is a way out, not a way out, I should say, but the only way that we would go again, the only way we would disobey is going against God's word, and we'll go through some of those. So number one, verse one, let's read this. I'm gonna read uh, chapter 13, Romans. Every person is to be subject in subjection, uh, which means submission. That's hupotasso, remember that word? We've been talking about it so much lately. It means to line up under. To the governing authorities, there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. That means every authority that you see, yes, including North Korea, is of the Lord. Now that's hard. That doesn't mean it's of the Lord as, of, as far as that's the way, they're governing the way of the Lord. We all know that. I don't think there's one government on the planet that does that. There's no, just as much as no perfect church on the planet. That's why every man a liar, but God is true. We have to have that biblical understanding, otherwise we have to get things messed up. And what, I, what we're gonna show you here is that on both sides of the political party, there is self-righteousness. And be careful of that because there's a lot of self-righteousness in the church. Not even as it relates to the, I mean, we're gonna be past this season soon. You know, we'll be out of the election season. The signs won't mean anything anymore on the side of the road. It, is, it won't mean anything because what is done is done. But our hearts will remain. And that's why we have to pay attention and care for our hearts above all everything else, our hearts. Ours is what is important to the Lord. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have, have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? How many of us just see a police car driving down the road and are freaking out? You don't need to if you're doing what is right. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to do to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. It's the only time really the Bible says that, by the way, because it's a fear of God. And why do we, we fear God as we obey authority? Because they're, in one sense, one of the same. God puts men and women into authority in government for the purpose of protecting its citizens from evil. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister, get this, a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjective subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. This is for Breno. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all, let, let, get this, Paul is using the same verbiage of Jesus, render, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom, whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right, so number one, we obey and we submit to God. First Peter 2, 13 to 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men 
And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brother, brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So clear. So clear. In fact, in Acts 16, when Paul was in Philippi in the jail, they didn't just bust their way out, did they? They didn't use all these excuses, try to get out or wiggle their way out. They trusted God. And as they trusted God, God delivered them from that prison that day and a church was birthed. In fact, in, the, in uh, communist Europe, I watched many movies. One movie that's really good is Tortured for Christ. It's, it's a hard one to watch, but it's really good to wa- watch the examples of, of Christians during communist Europe and how they didn't fight against those people, how they suffered well. It was, it's hard to watch, but it was so good. They decided to obey unless it hindered their worship. And oftentimes it did hinder their worship and they went against the government in that sense, the rightful sense. In fact, 1 Peter three seventeen says, for it is better if God, if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. How many of us think that we might be rebelling against God, I mean, against the government, for the right purposes, realizing it wasn't for the right purposes. That feeling of suffering for doing what is wrong is a lot worse than suffering for doing what is right. First Peter 4, 15 and 16 says, make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in his name. You know, there are times as Christians that we're supposed to speak against injustices, but we do it the rightful way. In fact, somebody in in ADS actually asked that. It was a wonderful question. They said, well, what are we supposed to do? I want to go in government. I want to write, you can write letters to your congressman. Did you not know that? I know it takes a little bit longer to do and and we don't know what the response is going to be, but we can express, contrary to communist countries, you'd never be able to, in fact, in North Korea, you can't even crease the newspaper the wrong way. Their leader is on every front page of every newspaper. It is perfectly situated on every hotel table. And they have cameras everywhere. If you were to throw the newspaper out when you're done reading it, you go to a work camp. If you were to even crease the newspaper, those who crease the newspapers for a living and then they put it where, they, where people need to read it, if you crease it the wrong way, Work camp. Crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, mean, the communist country, China, is in the news every single day against Christians. You can look at the Christian Post every day. Every single day, you'll read some sort of headline. In fact, the kindergartner, kindergarten teacher, went to jail because they began to teach their kids... um, uh, what you call it, with the song, I mean, hymns, just for hymns, not even the Bible, just hymns, jail. It's hard. That is really hard, but there are times where we can speak against injustices. They cannot do that, and it is a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be able to live in this country to speak your mind freely. Use it, but do it in a respectful, God-honoring way. Because God will use you. 
God has always used the humble. He, you know, the, our, our leaders need constant reminders. I think they ultimately want to do good. How many know that it's the, the, really, it's not against flesh and blood, the war. The war is against the principalities, as it says in Ephesians 6. So our battle is not against a person. It's against what's behind the person. That's why we have to use weapons not of this earth, but weapons of warfare that are from heaven. All right. Second thing is that we primarily change the world through preaching of the gospel. We have to fight for religious freedom. But even if we don't get it, we still preach. We still preach the gospel. We are also, we need to be model citizens. So it says in Timothy 3, 1 through 8, we're to be model citizens, a law abiding, not rebellious, not loud, not through the loud protests. Protests are illegal, yes. But are they God's best? Are they God's best? I don't think so. God wants us to change the world through preaching the gospel one at a time. One at a time. And if we did our job in this country, we probably wouldn't need a protest. Think about it. It says here, churchmen, uh, quote, churchmen whose Christian activism has taken mainly to marching, protesting, and shouting might well observe the author of these verses from Romans 13, 1 through 7. And then they might observe first at prayer, first him at prayer, then in the council with his friends, and after that, preaching in the homes and marketplaces. When Paul came to be heard by the mighty, it was to defend his action as a preacher, though by the ways of streets, to heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Do you understand? That is not through being loud that we are heard and that the world is changed. It is through preaching of the gospel. And if there's anything that we need to defend, it's just doing what our Lord told us to do. Be peaceful citizens under whatever God sovereignly has placed in you. First Timothy 2, 1 through 4. This is a wonderful tool, guys. This also speaks of the government. This is something that we should be doing every single day. First of all, then, I urge you, that the entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Isn't that great? Do you want to have a peaceful life in America? Pray for your leaders. If things aren't going well for us here, it's because there's probably not enough prayers of the saints. We need to pray. That is the most humble thing. That is what Daniel 4 is talking about. It's saying, yeah, you know, there's always going to be the boastful. There's always going to be, I mean, ever since the, the history of leaders, ever since Israel's like, give me a king. God's like, I don't know if you want a king. Give me a king. Who'd they get? Saul. They got what they asked for. And if we do that today, as many are, give me this king. Oh, they'll be my president. They'll be the one. I... One thing I know today, guys, is I can't predict who will come in. But one thing I can predict is we'll get what we deserve. We will get what we deserve. Whoever the majority is wins, which tells you about their heart. No matter who comes in, 
I want our hearts to be in the right place. We need to pray. This is good and acceptable, it says, in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Don't even just, don't just pray that it'll all go well with you. Don't pray that so-and-so will get out. Pray for their salvation. Because once they're saved, truly saved, it'll be a great place. Do good, Titus 3, 1 to 2. Remind them to be subject to their rulers, authorities, and to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceful, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. What does it say? Malign no one, don't speak evil of them. Isn't that hard to do? I think all of us are guilty in this room, including myself. It's so easy just to give our opinion. In fact, watch the next time in your, just your circles or your home, someone says a political name, you're like, ah, that guy. What? <laughs> watch your heart. Watch your mouth. It says, don't malign anyone. Be peaceful. Be gentle. Be considerate of all men. It's convicting. This is biblical. It's right. It's not what you hear in the world, right? You didn't hear this on NBC, did you? Live a quiet life. This is a good one. This is one that has been on my mind for quite a while now, since probably January 1st or some, sometime there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12 says, make it your ambition. Make it your ambition. Are you ambitious for what? Money? Some of you single guys, girls? Uh, <laughs> be married? The things of the earth? But this is what it says. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Are you loud on Facebook? Are you loud in the streets? In the last eight months, let me ask you, have you been quiet? No, you haven't. And attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we command you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. What does that mean? That is your witness. You're like, yeah, I want to preach the gospel, live it out. Then be quiet. When we are quiet, it shows that we are citizens of heaven. When we're noisy, we're trying to control the system, by the way. Let's be honest. We're trying to control the system where God ultimately controls that system. He will work all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and those who love him. In other words, it won't go well for those who don't love him, but it will for those who do. We don't need to control the system through our mouth. We need to trust him who controls everything. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare will be your welfare. Or in other words, peace. Seek the peace of the city. In fact, it says in Romans, it says, if it's all, if at all possible, 1218 says, if at all possible, be at peace with men. In fact, it says in Matthew 5, be a peacemaker. Because, you know, those who are peacemakers, it, it shows that you are of the Prince of Peace. Now, he did say, some of you guys are like, well, didn't he say I didn't come to bring peace on the earth? I brought a sword. Yes, he does. There's paradoxes in the Bible. You got to read the whole thing. But if you, re, if you understand that passage, what he's saying is, 
is that there are times where, that right now, where there's a sword. There's a sword cutting. There is a, there's a divisive spirit from the enemy, but there's also a divisive spirit from the word of God. Try to understand all that. But God's called us to make peace, if at all possible, without compromise. And soon as there is a compromise where you might compromise somewhere along the line, then it's time to take a stand for truth. And God will back you up. I'm nervous until I cross this line. I, and soon as I cross, I'm nervous, nervous. <laughs> I wake up with nervous because there's a fear of the Lord. I don't want to speak something that's not of him. But as soon as I cross this line, I know he's with me. There's nothing like it. For the future preachers, there's nothing like it. Nothing like preaching God's word. It's the most exhilarating thing. It really is. But you know what? Don't have to do this. Most of you are not going to do this. But some of you will. Somewhere else, perhaps. Somewhere in the world. But everybody's a preacher of God's word. Everybody's a teacher of God's word. You can do it in discipleship. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it on campus, in your workplace. But there's a fear and trembling. Come to the word of God with fear and trembling. There's a place where you don't only have to be nervous because I know God is with me. He testifies to his word. and In fact, he says over and over again in my spirit, he says, oh, don't be nervous because if you just are about my word, I will testify to it that it is true, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, ready to come right through the most difficult of circumstances, the tightest circumstances, the most confusing circumstances, comes right through, lays it bare right before God. How many have ever been confused until you got to the word? Because the God of this world, small g, has hijacked it for his purposes. But then as soon as we get in the word of God, the veil's taken off. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world has blinded people from what? The glory of God. You want to see the glory of God? Get in his word. If you want to be filled with the spirit, get in his word. It's so powerful. So when do we disobey? Oh, but by the way, one thing about the early church. <laughs> they were so, there was so little involvement in politics that they were considered outsiders. They weren't unloving, uncaring, or insensitive to others, but they just lived so dist such distinct and separate lives and so focused on the kingdom rather than this earth, they thought they were... They were kind of crazy, actually. What if we lived that way? What if people were like, man, don't you care about politics? I do. But I'm a citizen of heaven. It is so different. I even say that out loud, and I even can tell that sometimes it lands on deaf ears because we are so in the world. You are so occupied with the world that is, is so foreign. What if we flipped it on its head and the world's commentary was so foreign to our ears, virtually didn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense anymore. In fact, when I read an article from the world, I'm like, this is ridiculous. You can spot it out just like this, easily. Easily. Since July, I think it was June, actually, mid-June, mid-July, something like that. I think it was mid-June. 
I officially canceled my Facebook account, and I've not regretted it yet. Not even one regret. I don't have social media. Wonderful. That's not a brat. I just, I love God's word. You might say, well, you're not reaching people. No, I'm doing my job right now. I am doing it right now. This is my job. It's wonderful to be faithful to the word of God. And I encourage you to be faithful to the word of God, not to the things of this world. Could you have social media? Sure. Perhaps maybe you'll be more disciplined than maybe I was. Or maybe you're more holy. I don't know. But the reality is we've got to get in the word more than we are in the world. The reason why there's confusion is because, let's just be honest, we've listened to too much commentary from the world. They're not telling you to be citizens of heaven. They're constantly telling you that tape is playing all day long. If you don't vote for this, it'll be hell on earth. No, it'll be hell on earth if Jesus wasn't here. But Jesus is ruling and reigning. He is ruling and reigning. In fact, I love it that one party speaks so much about the, the uh, care for the homeless, and, uh, which is wonderful, by the way, and so much for the earth, right? I mean, so much for the, to keep our earth preserved and make sure we put the recycling in the recycling bin. Uh, I remember going to Seattle. There was like three or four recycling bins. I didn't even know what to do when I was trying, trying to throw my hamburger away. I was like, what am I supposed to do? I was like, I'm probably on camera right now. I got out of there as fast as I possibly could. Like, they're going to kill me <laughs> if I put the wrapper in the wrong thing. People are like so worried about what is going to go happen to the earth. Wait till you see what Jesus does to it in Revelation. <laughs> He'll absolutely annihilate it and build us a new one. We need a biblical worldview. We need a biblical worldview. We need a king like Jesus. Woo! If anybody's awake this morning, come on. I mean, it's so good. I love the word. It's amazing. All right. So when do we disobey civil authority? The Jewish midwives in Exodus one seventeen, you can look it up later, but they feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded him, but let the boys live. If you remember they're trying to kill Moses just as much as parallel. They're trying to kill Jesus thousand years later. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they refused to participate in the murder of babies and they prospered because of it. So many implications there. But commanded to eat the king's choice. Uh, the, the king commanded that these boys, these young boys, Daniel and his friends, would eat the king's choice food. But what they did in, in Daniel 1, 12 to 15, it says, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat. It's really good to Daniel fast, by the way. And water to drink. Then our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So, of course, they listened uh, to them and said, fine, go for it. They were ended up being stronger and more full of life and vitality. But they did it. Here's the key. They did it in a way, because they were disobeying the food laws, the mosaic food laws of the time. Uh, that might not mean much to us today, 
But the reality is they had such a sensitivity to God, a fear of God, that they were saying, hey, look, we know we have positions of prominence. We could have just, we would rather disobey the king than go against our conscience. The conscience is such a gift from God, guys. The conscience is such a gift. Don't sear it. It says the Bible says you can sear it. It's almost like taking a steak, taking an iron, and putting on a hot iron on a piece of steak where the steak's all like nice and, you know, moldable, tender, and it's now hard as a rock. That's what happens when I barbecue, actually. I'm not the best. <laughs> she can testify to that. But don't sear your conscience. They didn't want to do that. They did not want to sear their conscience. And so God, but they did it in a respectful way. They didn't do it with protest. They didn't do it with anger. They didn't do it with malice in their hearts. They didn't do it with uh, slander or offense. They did it, they just appealed. And that's what we're supposed to do. Then King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3 commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship the gods, the gold image. And then they answered that and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of a blazing fire and will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is the heart of one who is a citizen of heaven. Daniel respectfully then refused to obey the decree that kept him from praying. Otherwise, he'd be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel 6, 23 says that he simply obeyed. Then the king was very pleased and gave, up, gave orders to Daniel to be taken up out of the den so that Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted his God. Isn't that great? What examples? What examples of courage, fortitude? And then the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem warned Peter and John not to speak. I don't want to ruin this one. We'll talk about it a little later, probably in five months. Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, Acts 4, 18 to 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. So much of civil disobedience in the name of trying to obey God is twisted because Christians are just simply angry at the current government, so they always think they're obeying God, but they're not. What God is saying is that when it hinders our worship, when it actually goes against, clearly against the scriptures, and you know what? There's more, fewer times, and I'm just giving you pretty much all of them right here, biblical theology of when to disobey civil authority. There's not much. In other words, the Bible speaks so much more about obeying civil authority even when we don't agree than disobeying when we are tempted to disobey God. And then it says in Mark 16, 15, they told to go preach the gospel to all of creation. And then in Acts 5, that was so deep ingrained in them. Acts 5, 28 to 29 says, we give you strict orders not to continue teaching in the name, in this name, Jesus, they couldn't even mention the name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than man. There are times when that will happen. 
But the church is obligated to, avo- uh, to observe zoning laws, building codes, fire safety regulations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so much. We are called to obey that. We are. But when, as soon as the government comes in and says you must ordain a homosexual to pastor or you have to hire, the, the, you know, when, as soon as they start to infringe upon our scriptures, that's when we say, no, this is the line. We cannot do it anymore. And you know what? By the time that happens, so much of us are like, yeah, give me a fight. But then when the time happens, it's like we cower in fear. Watch, it'll happen. It will. It's not something that we should like, yeah, I can't wait for that to happen. We should want to live the rest of our lives, hopefully not in conflict like that. But if we do find ourselves this is what God says, Matthew 10, 16 to 23. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. And you will, be, you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as what you will, oh, I'm sorry, for kings of my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how, or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brothers will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents. This is talking about the end days too. And cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But, in, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved." This is a life of perseverance. But whatever, whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. We are not, sometimes, we are not to just try to fight our persecution, just flee to the next. Move on. Move on. In fact, it says that, right? When they don't accept you, just shake the dust off your sandals and move on. God is not advocating or condoning fighting our enemies. He doesn't call us to do that calls us to be peacemakers. But if we were to find ourselves in that corner, let's trust God, he'll give us the words. He'll give us the words. He'll give us the power to endure to the end like Stephen did and many others. All right. We have a few more. I'm sorry, I told you, I warned you that it was going to be a little longer today. So, uh, all right, let me just give you seven reasons why the human government or why we're supposed to submit to the human government. I'm just going to rattle them off. I won't touch on them. Then I have a quote at the end, then we'll done. All right, so the government is from God. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 11. I love this. Once God has spoken, <laughs> twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Isn't that wonderful? The power belongs to him. We know that in Ephesians 2, that even though God has, listen to this, even though God has set up his government, we know who lies behind it in one sense. In one sense, it is God who sets up camp, says this is who's gonna be your leader in this, in this government, in this time, in this season. But understand at the same time, we know who else is involved. It says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 2, it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince and the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit, the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world actually lies in the power of the evil one. 
And John 12, 31 says, the ruler of this world, it's temporarily. Luke 4, 6, he actually has claim to the kingdoms of this world. Isaiah 14, he's Lucifer, the morning star who fell because of rebellion. He's the king of Babylon. Ezekiel 28, he's the king of Tyre. He's the one who's found in the Garden of Eden. We have to understand that even though God is in control, what we're saying is God is not the source of evil. We know that. So how do we reconcile this? When we look at a president, an earthly president, we're saying that is God's minister. We respect them. We pray for them. We love them. We obey no matter what. But we also know that behind him is Satan working his ways out in a country. And we can see that all across the globe. But there are no exceptions to this rule in obeying the government, even in communism. That's why God has given us great, in the last 2,000 years, he's given us great heroes of the faith who've modeled it well for us, and that's why we need to know our scripture and church history. Number two, rebellion and resistance against the government is rebellion and resistance against God. The story in Numbers 16, of course, you know the story, the story of the sons of Korah. When they rebelled against their leader, they were devoured. It says also that at the end of that story, 14,700 people died of a plague because they rebelled against God, God's anointed one authority. You don't want to do that. Number three, those who resist are punished. It says in Matthew 6, 26, 52, uh, when Jesus says, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. What is he saying? He's saying, Peter, look, put away your sword. Because if you, you, how many know Peter was actually aiming for the head? He just got the ear. It was by the grace of God, by the way. But if he got the head, Peter would get it. And Jesus knew that. Because they instituted the death penalty, capital punishment, murder for, uh, was it, uh, shoot, do I not have this here? Um, Genesis 9-8, you can look it up. I think 9-3 or 9-8, one of those. Um, It says that, those who kill, their blood will be required of them. And God, life for a life. And that is God's way of setting it up. You may not agree with it, but it is God's way. It is God's word. The punishment was, uh, in Deuteronomy 25, punishment was quick, not long term. Isn't that great? God is merciful. Unlike our prison institutions that are lifelong, not saying, I'm not trying to get into like some sort of theological debate on prisons, but in the Old Testament and even in the, all the way into the New Testament, there was no prisons as we know it is for, uh, for correction. They would punish them immediately and then release because there would, they would be accepted then in, back into society according to Deuteronomy 20, 25, 3. And a life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Deuteronomy 19, 21, what that meant was a poor, appropriate retribution for the crime. That meant that they would not overpunish or underpunish. What, God, what ultimately what God's saying is he is fair and we can trust him. We can't, we can't trust worldly governments, but we can trust him in the originality of the law and what he, that he gave to Moses. Number four is the government restrains evil and evildoers. It produces fear in those who do evil. Do you understand that the first line of restraint in the earth today is the restraint of the conscience? That's why Romans 1 is so important that we lose our conscience because we give ourselves, he gives us over 
to our sin. Romans 1 is the most prof- one of the most profound, profound passages in Scripture. It, it, it actually tells us today why things are going on today. And the worst thing that could ever happen to any human being in this place is not death, but God giving us over completely to our sin. That leads to spiritual death, the separation from him for all of eternity. That Genesis 2, 17, Genesis 3, 1 through 7, Adam and Eve sinned and then found the basis of what we know today is the human conscience. It has been seared over and over and over and over and over again. Please don't sear it anymore. Don't do that. Don't give in to the world's philosophies. God will hand you over to them. It says in Romans 2, 14 and 15, when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively, alternately accusing or else defending them. What is he saying? The first line of defense for us guys is the conscience. The second line is the government. If we lose the government, well, actually, before that, it's the family. Mom and dad telling their kids what is right, what is wrong, according to the scriptures. If they don't, we don't have parents that raise their kids up in the Lord, what is going to happen to society? Next in line is, forget the, you know, the conscience to the family to eventually to the government. And now, this is no political statement, but when you hear things like defunding police, Getting rid of police, that is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. You're going against the scriptures. What God said, he set up the government to protect its citizens. And though they do that not in a perfect way, that is still God's institution of government is imperfect as it is. And we are called to obey it. And when we lose the government, we lose the fear in the people. When we lose the fear in the people, it's absolute chaos. And then the last thing they're trying, which many are trying to get rid of is the church, the last line of defense. You want to see hell on earth? Get rid of all four. That is what hell is going to look like. Hell will look like there will be no, absolutely no conscience, no family protection, no structures, no level of government help. I mean, you've just demolished in the gospel itself Fifth, government should uh, serve to promote good. I mean, Paul took advantage of that, right? I mean, when he appealed to Caesar, wise man he was. And in Acts 19, also when he was about to uh, be uh, thrown into this riot, he, uh, he went to the clerk. He said, protect me. I mean, and so Paul used the government. Government is there to protect you and you can appeal to them for your protection because God has instituted the government for our protection. And when they're not doing that right, we need to write the letters, we need to do the appropriate things in a respectful manner and a humble heart and, and follow through with that. Number six, government is empowered to punish the disobedient. Oh, that was at Genesis 9-6, I'm sorry. That was the reference to that. They can bear the sword for the purpose of punishing wrongdoers. Guys, there's nothing wrong with justice. In fact, God is a God of justice. But like I said many weeks before, let's not cry out justice because we actually might get what we deserve. Number seven, we should obey government for conscience sake. 
is it says Paul's last point here in verse five, that it's not out of fear of punishment, but for conscience sake, for the Lord's sake, for out of love, out of serving the Lord, not out of fear. If we're always going around in fear, it says that there's no fear in, in 1 John. There's no fear in love. Because fear has to do with what? Punishment. All right. I'm going to give you guys, I'll have the band come up. I'm just going to give you one last quote from a man named Charles Spurgeon. He uh, wrote this, hold on just a second here. He wrote this uh, 160 years ago. And I believe it's so relevant today. Uh, the Lord is uh, continually, I'm just asking, I'm like, Lord, give me, give me good quotes. Give me good, you know, some old school stuff. Just 160 years ago, this is now still very relevant. And then, uh, then we'll close here. I cannot say that I delight in political Christians. I fear that the party strife is a serious trial to believers and I cannot reconcile our heavenly citizenship with the schemes of the campaign trail and stress of the polling booth. You must follow your judgment here. For my part, I am a foreigner in England and as such, I mean to act. We are simply passing through this earth and should bless it in our transit, but never yoke ourselves to its affairs. An Englishman may happen to be in Spain. He wishes a thousand things were different for what they are, but he, him, he does not trouble himself much about them. Says he, if I were a Spaniard, I would see what I could do to alter this government. But being an Englishman, let the Spaniards see to it their, to their own affairs. I will be back to my own country by and by, and sooner the better. So with Christians here, they are content very much to let the worldly people deal with the worldly things on the earth. Their politics concern their own country. They do not care much about the other, any other. As men, they love liberty and are not willing to lose it even, if, even in the lower sense. But spiritually, their politics are spiritual. And citizens, they look to the interests of that divine republic to which they belong. They wait for a time when having patiently borne with the laws of the land for their exile, they will come under the most gr more gracious ruler of him who reigns in glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Serve your day and generation still, but do not build your soul's dwelling place here. For all this earth must be destroyed at the coming of of the fiery day. So good. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Psalm 2, when all the kings of the earth were conspiring together, trying to figure out ways to do evil on the earth. So many people take this passage out of context, context thinking it's a time to pray for the nations, and the nations are ours somehow, but they're the Lord's. But really, the context is that Jesus reigns, even in Psalm 2, before he even stepped foot on the earth in the incarnation. Why are the nations in uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord's, Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their feathers apart and cast away their cords from us. I love this. 
And I want you to hear the Lord's laughter in a time like this in a political tension. He says this, he who sits in the heavens laughs. (laughs) He laughs. He laughs. Then the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, capital me, I have installed my king, Jesus, upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth your position. You will break them with a rod of iron you will shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. You know, it's a prayer for mine. O kings of the earth right now, show some discernment. Show some wisdom. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, and he will not become angry, and you will perish in the way. In other words, if they don't bow the knee to Jesus, they will perish. And everyone else who follows suit, for his wrath may be soon kindled. Oh, it is now, it's kindling. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is the word of the Lord.